everyone. My name is Aria Miles, and I am a member of the Princeton class of 2014. And I'm so excited to be here today on the ABPA podcast with a very special person to me. She happens to be my mother, Tanya Chisholm Miles, class of 1982. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. For those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before, this is a new initiative by the Association of Black Princeton Alumni. There have been two great interviews uh, before our conversation, and we're really looking forward to all of the ones that will come after uh, this particular episode. So we'll just dive right in. Um, Tanya, can I can I call you Tanya for the next 30 minutes or so? Yes, you may. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so... Can you just give us an idea of how you ended up applying to Princeton? It's an interesting story, Aria. Um, our Aunt Iris, she wanted to nominate me for a sorority scholarship, and she needed a letter of recommendation from my principal. So I went to my principal, who happened to be the social studies high school teacher of our Aunt Gloria, and... Um, he asked me, he said, well, what schools are you applying to once he got my transcript? And I told him, and he said, well, do me a favor. I want you to apply to some Ivy League schools. I did not know what the Ivy League schools were, what the system was about. I researched it, and um, I said, okay, sure, I'll do this. I went to my guidance counselor who told me, don't waste your time. You'll never get in. Now, you know, that just propelled me to go forward with this, right? So, and help me be focused on the application process. Um, I researched Princeton, and um, I was very interested in math and science, and I chose to apply to Princeton, given its math department and computer science, and that's how I did it. But um, tell me about you. Why Princeton for you, Aria? Um, so I I think I had a, a really nice opportunity in knowing about uh, Princeton as a school uh, and the Ivy League in general, um, because you went there. Um, so it was... It was I was fortunate to have that opportunity um, growing up. But one thing that I really appreciated about the way that you as an alum approached having children apply to college was that you and my dad said, okay, we just want our children to have the best education possible for them. So there was no push to say, oh, you need to go to Princeton. Um, so thank you for, for the introduction to the school. Uh, but I was also very interested in math, had plans on becoming a middle school math teacher. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, if I'm going to be a math teacher, then I need to major in math. Um, and Princeton had one of the best math programs in the country. And I liked the people at the school when I when we went to visit. Um, it was nice to say, oh, okay, there are people who are really into their studies, but also really down to earth. Um, and it was close enough, yet far enough away from home. It's about three hours from Maryland. Uh, so... All of those together uh, kind of propelled me to to apply. And so now that you're what thirty five plus years out, um, as you reflect on those four years that you had at Princeton, do you think that it met your expectations? First, um, it's interesting you learned so much on a podcast with your daughter. Um, as far as how you chose to apply to Princeton, um, that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm um, glad to hear that, um, you know, your dad, my wonderful husband, we just played it straight. 
you know, um, it's your thing to do and you chose to do your thing. So good for you, Aria. But, um, you know, when I think about my Princeton experience, 1978 to 1982, those were some pretty formative years for the university. Um, one, um, having women there and two, having people of color, black people there and having black women there. And, um, it was a very um, challenging road for me, but I enjoyed the challenge, as, sound, as strange as that sounds. Um, sometimes it was pretty penetrating in a positive way, and most times penetrating in a negative way. But um, it took me about five years to actually reflect on the experience and to um, get to a point where I could say that, indeed, that was um, the place that met my expectations during those formative years for me. And I say that because um, Princeton had a cultural environment um, where you could, of course, develop academically, and which is what I did with engineering, but um, you could also develop um, socially. And so there were the academic challenges, and then there were the people challengers. Um, people would challenge you for who you were and how you got there and why you should be there, even though I'm doing work at the same level as other people. But um, that was a good challenge for me um, because it told me that I could do um, work at that level. It told me that I could interact with people in that kind of environment. And it really molded me to be the leader that I am today. Um, Princeton allowed me to be courageous, to be bold, um, to assume unpopular decisions yet to achieve in those decisions. So when I reflect back, yes, Princeton was the place for me and it didn't meet my expectations. Mm. Yeah, I really like how you talked about the people challengers, just thinking about your guidance counselor in high school who wasn't very encouraging. Um, and I think a lot of us have stories of somebody who was a naysayer, but then even seeing that show up in college too. Um, for me, it's just a constant reminder that there's always going to be somebody who has something to say uh, and we have to navigate how we respond to that. Um, and so in those formative years, can you talk about maybe one or two highlights and and in that either social or academic side, one of those challenges and how you balanced those? I guess my um, highlights were still challenges and challenges were still highlights for me. Um, huh. One in particular being one of three black women in the School of Engineering in my class. And um, thinking about the sweat and the tears and the hollers and the, the masters and the triumphs and um, the cries and being consoled by students and staff, um, that was a serious challenge. Um, but engineering met my expectations, and I know that's where I was supposed to be. Um, being president of the Society of Black Engineers, the Princeton chapter, that was a really highlight for me, um, yet a challenge, too. Um, working with the university, um, working with some really dynamic students as we move forward in that chapter um, to become one of the most student, most financially secure student-run organizations on campus, having the rap sessions with um, Bill Massey. He was Bill Massey to us, not a professor yet. And, um, you know, how he really encouraged us at those rap sessions at WIG um, to, to really know how to navigate Princeton to really make it um, your own and to really put your um, stamp on it and also how to get through and still have skin as you got through. And then the, um, you know, the senior thesis, appropriate technology. Who would have thought that um, when I entered Princeton, there was a big um, protest 
um, divestiture out of South Africa and led by Adimu Chunga. But who would have thought that um, Adimu would be one of my advisors, one of my leaders, one of my teachers with my senior thesis? So it was a joy to go up to Newark, New Jersey um, during senior year and um, work with Adimu, who chaired the People's Energy um, Cooperative there. Uh, linear Programming, School of Engineering. Uh, yes. Did some really <laughs> traumatic things to me, but I could say that linear programming to this day, I use it um, just how to optimize and minimize different um, objectives subject to constraints, which is life, right? And um, Professor Mulvey, John Mulvey, I think he was your professor too, which is really cool. He but, actually uh, was. He was, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it was a make or break situation there, but um, being an engineer and being in linear program was a really highlight for me. All the way to dancing at the Third World Center parties, EQUAD being so close to the Third World Center, TWC, um, getting with real talk with real people in a real environment, that was a tension reliever. And really a um, a cradle for me, I would say, um, being able to go to TWC and just to talk and meet um, with people. All the way to 20 hours a week sometimes was my work study, and that was a balance for me. Um, and it was a good tension reliever as well. Developing relationships, your godparents, David and Gail, um, my sister, mother, girlfriend, Sharon. I mean, there's some incredible relationships that came out of the Princeton experience for me and um you know, I'll never forget that, and I'll cherish that always. Uh, for you, Aria, what about, um, tell us about the inaugural Bridge Year program. Mm. So the Bridge Year program is actually coming up, oh, wow, I think their 10-year anniversary. Uh, so the Bridge Year program started with the incoming class of 2013, and students uh, were allowed to, once they had been accepted to Princeton, decide, okay, there's this program that allows you to do an academic year of service in another country. Um, and so you could do that and then come back and do your four years of studies at Princeton. And when I found out about the program, I was really intrigued and did some thinking around it because I was very much so a person who said, okay, I'm going to do high school, college, grad school, and then I'm going to work. Like I'm not taking any breaks in between. Um, But when I found out about the program, I said, hold on, wait a minute. So I've been accepted to Princeton. I I can apply to go and live and learn somewhere else for a while, and a lot of the projects in Ghana had to do with education and youth, which are two areas of interest for me. Um, so I can do that for a year, go to a country I've always wanted to go to, and still, like my, I have that security of knowing that I have my spot for four years at, at Princeton. I can do a little bit of a deviation. Um, so decided to do that, enjoyed it a lot, and it was. I think about, I'm thinking back to how you were talking about Princeton being formative years, but I think for me having that one year gap in a totally different context um, was very helpful as well and kind of gave me a different perspective as I went into Princeton. Um, so I know that sometimes parents can be <laughs> a little apprehensive of their mm-hmm. child going thousands of miles away for mm-hmm. an extended period of time. Um I highly recommend it. At least have a conversation about it. So I'm glad that you all were open to to 
talking about it and, and supportive of, of me uh, pursuing the program. Um, and it also, like you were saying, built a lot of solid relationships. Um, just last October, I believe, we had a, a mini reunion at the wedding of one of the guys who was in my cohort for the program. Um, and so at the time, there were five people per program in four different countries. It's since expanded. I think they're in seven countries now with maybe seven students per country. So that's great to see um, that there's an opportunity to learn about different places and um, and people and gain a different perspective on what it means to be living somewhere, learning somewhere, and not just inserting yourself as a volunteer. Um, so that wasn't quite an institutionalized option uh, for you in 1978. But I do want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned about there being only three black women in your engineering. In the, was that in the entire engineering school or in your department? In my class from 1982. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. For, for us in my particular department within the engineering school, there were five black students out of 90, which was quote unquote good, given that there was one or two in the year before. Um, So to think about three in the entire graduating class across all the engineering departments is... For women, three women. For for women. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. huge props to to you all um, for sticking through it. So... You know, I like what you said about the um, Bridgier program, um, you know, Princeton's motto um, in the nation's service and in the service of humanity. Um, with the Bridgier program, Princeton said, we're going to do this up front. And I have big respect for Princeton and the leadership for doing just what they did with um, immersing students in different countries for public service before they began their um, Princeton experience. Um your father and I had no idea that you were going to apply <laughs> to that. And um, so when you chose to apply, we was like playing along, like, okay, sure, sure, sure. You know, but then the interview came and we're like, wait a minute. And then the acceptance came and we could have passed out here. We were trying to make sure that you came home for Thanksgiving. Who would have thought that Thanksgiving you would have been in Ghana, in West Africa? Who would have thought that December you would have turned um, 18 away from home in Ghana? So um, kudos to you. You know, we're really proud of just the courage um, that you um, chose to exhibit there and very happy that Princeton um, selected you and um, very happy that Princeton chose to do the Bridgia program. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah, if I could do it again, I I would. Um, And so after those four years, I think a lot of times um, the different experiences that you have in college can you can come in with an idea of what you're going to do and where you're going to be afterwards. And by the time you graduate, it can be completely different. Uh, So you, after working for a couple of years, went to business school at Wharton at Penn. Um, And can you talk about a little bit of what led you to business school and what led you to Wharton in particular? Actually, the basis of the engineering discipline that I studied at Princeton led me to business school. Um, looking at systems, how you make decisions, strategic planning um, models um, with linear programming. 
that really propelled me to say, how can I take this um, to my profession? And business school just was a natural progression to that. So I knew it was business school. I knew I still wanted a quantitative yet qualitative blend. And um, Wharton presented that as well as the University of Chicago. So I was accepted to both for their um, business um, MBA programs. And I chose Wharton. Again, it was closest to um, home. Chicago was just really, really cold one. (laughs) But um, Wharton proved to be that good blend, quantitative, qualitative, qualitative. And going to Wharton and doing um, finance and doing strategic planning, which is a love of mine, was just a really nice blend between um, what I did undergrad as far as studies and what I chose to do at the graduate level. It's interesting because um, still in the environment, Princeton prepared me well for Wharton. You know, at Princeton, you were challenged um, as a black woman to prove yourself over and over and over again. And um, the same was at Wharton, even though it was a different age and a different day and it was at a different level. But I was so prepared by Princeton that Wharton was a piece of cake for me, I can say. And um, I enjoyed my time there and it, it's been good to me. It's been really good to me. Yeah. Now, um, in your sophomore year, you had a bit of a transition as well. So um, tell us how you moved from you know, the liberal arts to engineering and math to the discipline that you chose. Yeah, so I I realized uh, I was taking a an introduction to number theory course, um, which was one of the the prerequisites for declaring a math major, and I realized this is very interesting, but not quite how I want to spend my time. And I was a little bit more attracted to applied math than to um, the abstract and theoretical side of the discipline. Uh, so. Oddly enough, and I mean, you and I, we talked through this umpteen times, um, but I ended up switching into operations research and financial engineering, which honestly, I didn't realize until the end of senior year that that was the type of engineering that uh, department that you were in, but the name had changed. Um, but I, I also liked the decision-making side and how you approach different problems um, using data and just different problem-solving processes. And so that's kind of what brought me to that. And honestly, at, at the end of graduation, I said, okay, I don't, I don't know exactly if I'm going to pursue something directly in operations research and financial engineering full-time. A lot of my classmates, um, like a lot of people, go into the finance world that just wasn't much of an interest for me. But what I did find was that just that analytical, those analytical skills that I had developed um, in the department were helpful in some roles that I was in um, after graduating. And so on, on your side, you've you've had a couple of different, um, well, a few different <laughs> uh, employers and and work journeys across the corporate, private, I'm sorry, the corporate, public, and nonprofit sector. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about a couple of those? Sure. Um, Starting out um, as an engineer, Procter & Gamble, moving through some different other um, organizations, um, bill operating companies, when there was a divestiture between those companies and AT&T to Citibank, institutional banking, 
to public school administration, which is so near and dear to my heart, um, to different nonprofits, and one in particular, the Association of American Medical Colleges, for all of my friendly doctors out there, um, being the director of administration and operations for the MCAT Medical College Admission Test, and administering that test to 70,000 people worldwide, at the same time doing the strategic planning to convert that 80-year-old paper test then to computer-based. So I led that process, and uh, again, Princeton prepared me well. It was a lot of competing priorities in both roles, um, serving a parallel process, um, working with vendors um, all across the nation, working with um, people who would submit proposals to the RFP, writing the RFP, going through that whole experience inside of three years. It was a three-year appointment, um, doing it inside of two years and seven months. And um, that was a really highlight in my, um, in my professional career. I'm very happy about that um, and the work that um, went into it. But um, just thinking about and reflecting on Princeton, working with all types of people, different skills, calibers, people coming from different spaces, different places, all types of stakeholders, and how it all works together for a common goal. Um, to my position now, which is um, very different, um, being at a seminary, um, supporting a, um, a pretty awesome president of a seminary, um, being an officer of the seminary, and the work that we do with the board that we have. And um, I like where I am. I like where I've ended up. I like the different steps that I've taken along the way. I never understood when people would say to me on campus, Princeton Open Doors. I didn't understand really what that meant. Um, but being outside of Princeton, looking over my career, I really understand it well. And it's important that you give back to, um, to people. It's important that um, you consider those who are yet to come. You consider those who have an interest in maybe attending Princeton. Um, and you speak to them. And you let them speak to you. And so, you know, one of my loves and passions has been Alumni Schools Committee. It's amazing. I can say that I've next year will be 30 years of doing that. And um, as an alum, just the opportunity to speak to prospective Princetonians um, who may never, ever speak to another Princetonian in their life, um, just to see what they might bring to Princeton to make it the, um, the school environment that it should be, to make it rich. Um, I encourage people to just go ahead and to sign up to interview uh, with alumni schools. Uh I've enjoyed that time. I've enjoyed serving as um, vice chair of the Princeton Schools Committee, um, looking at worldwide view of, you know, um, all of the 8,000 plus alumni who do this. Um, I have big, big respect for those who do it and continue to do it because it's very important. Tell me what you've Uh done. Mm, these five years or so um, after graduation. Yeah, it's exciting that um, I'm coming up on my on my fifth. It came very quickly, but uh, let's see. So right after right after graduation, I moved back to the Maryland DC area, um, which is home for us, <laughs> and I did a project a Project 55 fellowship. And so for those of you who aren't familiar, there's an organization called Princeton Alumni Corps that runs a number of programs, one of which is a Project 55 fellowship. And 
um, graduating seniors can apply to do a one-year or two-year uh, fellowship at different civic organizations across the country. So I moved uh, back home to work in the operations department of a school network in D.C. And for me, I said, okay, if I want to work in education, and at the time I thought I was still going to be a teacher, I said it would be nice to have different perspectives of all of the uh, actors in a school building and in a school network. Um, so enjoyed my what turned into two years um, in the operations department there. Um, and then in May, just finished a two-year master's in public policy at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. And um, I would have never thought that I would have gone to a school of government. I Again, I said I was operations research and financial engineering. Sometimes people have diverse interests. I did not think anything related to politics, or not anything, but I didn't think that I would go to a school of government. Um, but working in that operations position just continued to reiterate to me that you can have a great teacher, and that is so desperately needed, but if things aren't running well in your school, on the logistics side, if the students can't get to school like because of transportation issues... If things in in students' homes aren't supportive of their educational um, growth, uh, there's just so many factors that play into a child being able to have a quality education. So I wanted to look at things on a little bit of a broader level um, and so decided to pursue public policy. For graduate school, um, I now work for a nonprofit in Memphis, which is a little bit further from home, um, but that works with a number of nonprofit organizations across the city. And so for me, I have, at the end of the day, I just want to be in roles either in my professional life or my volunteer life um, or my personal life that say, okay, like you said, there's always this giving back and investing in people um, aspect, and I want to be able to do that in a way that works for that person, um, in a way that they've said works for them as well. Um, so those that brings us to today, um, and I guess on the Princeton-related side of, of working with people, um, I just, maybe two days ago, or so signed the <laughs> signed the alumni uh, interviewer agreement. <clears throat> excuse me, um, because that's something that I also enjoyed a lot was having the the chance to have conversations with students who were looking to um, to attend Princeton. But I think on the other side of that, um, one thing that I admired about the way that you approached being not only an alum but a, a person. Well, saying, okay, there's this pool of people who are going to apply. There's a larger pool of people who might apply. There's an even larger pool of people who don't know that this is an option to apply. Um, and so in each of those circles, what I've admired about getting to grow up with you is seeing, okay, how, how do you continually say, like, just honestly, at the end of the day, let me just try to be a good human. <laughs> um, 
and realize that, yeah, Princeton comes with a lot of connections, a lot of resources, and there's a, it's, it's a responsibility to say, okay, I have that now. How do I just spread that and, and work with other people? Um, so that they can have it as well if they would like to. And I think even on the, um, <laughs> even on the, on the side of, uh, of seeing how people can be like, oh, like informal mentors and formal mentors, I think about just like the ways that other Princeton alumni who I know have like gotten involved in their communities um, and then how people still in the Princeton community make sure that they're continuing to invest in their former students or classmates. So I think about uh, who was to you, Bill Massey, to me was Professor Massey. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but he said, how can I make sure that I am bringing more students into these, um, to these STEM fields? How can I be a resource to students as they need it, when they need it? Um, and he's continued to do that even after graduating. Um, so it's, I think, Im- important to always say life is a lot bigger than, than just yourself. Um, so I think if, if people get into places like Princeton and then you use the resources only for yourself, then to me, I think it's a disservice. Um, and that's my, my personal view, but that's a good view. You know, okay. might be a little biased. <laughs> uh, but I think we're coming to the end of our time. And as we as we wrap up, um, I'm at a I'm leaving a conference right now and I'm I'm heading back to Memphis and I'm looking forward to continuing to make a new uh, a new city home. And do you have any tidbits for, I guess, a couple of, of groups of people, um, but either prospective Princeton students who might make Princeton their home or current undergrads and young alumni who are going through an experience for the first time of, of branching out to a place that they've never been before um, and maybe doing things that they've never done before? Do you have any general advice as, as young people kind of approach those pivots? Sure, Ari. I would give them the same advice that um, we gave you, and that is to always remember that um, the competition is always between you and yourself, and um, that's what kept me grounded at Princeton. You never know what someone else is bringing to the table. I don't know if that person has three years of physics compared to my one semester, my one year of physics in high school. So always compete with yourself. Have I improved? Have I developed from what I was yesterday to today? Um, how would I like to continue to develop to improve myself for tomorrow? Because just like you said, um, life is bigger than you. Um, there are a lot of different moving parts to it, and you're one part in it. And um, as you gravitate towards new places, new people, developing yourself is key. Um, not that you become pompous or arrogant, but um, that you remain humble but that you be a changer and a mover in the game. So competition is between you and yourself, not between you and somebody else. I think that's something that a lot of us, regardless of age, have to have to keep in mind. 
So thank you so much. This was fun to talk to you. It was fun to talk to you this way. Right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and thanks, many, many thanks to ABPA for it. Thank you to um, our president, Derek um, Raphael, for just his vision and his wisdom and just having these um, oracle exchanges, um, oral exchanges recorded and, and archived in my um, mm-hmm. library. We thank you for that. Yes, and a huge shout out to Isaac Saranga, class of 13, who is spearheading this podcast project. Um, So we do encourage everyone to take a listen. They're not too long, we think. (laughs) Um, And just always remember, interviewing season is coming up. Volunteer. Uh, And just always remember to to think about one way that you can just make somebody's day brighter. If that's saying hello, if it's giving a smile, if it's saying, let me take you to coffee – if it's saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to provide a friendly face during this interview, whatever it is, um, just everybody have a good day. That's my girl. All right. Uh, all right. Uh-huh. I'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm. AVPA and the rest of the listeners, great to talk to y'all. Have a good one. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.